Welcome to season eight of the Global Inquirer. We're an undergraduate research podcast based in the University of Virginia. And each week we bring you stories from across the world to explain how global trends are impacting real lives. I'm your host, Emma Ross. Today, we'll be talking about the rise of small scale betting and the subreddit Wall Street Bets. I'm sitting down with Hannah Malcolm, a second year history and youth and social innovation major to bring you this week's story. So I think most people are sort of familiar with the old school version of the stock market where people put away their savings and maybe invest a little bit in Netflix or Amazon and hope that they make a tidy sum. But as we've seen over the past year in the news, it seems like the stock market has been changing in some interesting ways. Can you maybe dive into a little bit of the story of how it's becoming different? Yeah. So with regards to the stock market, I'm sure that we've all probably heard the term buy low, sell high. It's kind of the motto that a lot of these long-term investors go by, right? But what we're seeing now is not a full transition, but there's a lot more people that are getting involved in high-risk day trading, and they want to see returns in the short term. They want to buy low and sell high in a much shorter time period. Within the stock market, there's now a 25% volume of retail traders. And retail traders means that there's a lot more people taking on the accountability for themselves. They're trading in their personal accounts. This is different than what we see with institutional traders. With institutional traders, this is a more like typical hedge funds, mutual funds. They're buying and selling for the accounts that they manage. Instead, people are taking it upon themselves. And how they're doing this in a lot of ways is heading to the internet. And on the internet, you can find a lot of things. You can find professional advice. You can find people to talk about, just have a conversation about the stock market. But something new that's come out of it is a form of betting, if you will, of online servers and forums. One of the most prominent online forums that has come about from this new wave of investing is Wall Street Bets on Reddit. And for today's episode, we were lucky enough to have an interview with Jamie Rogozinski, the founder of Wall Street Bets. So I started Wall Street Bets in 2012. I was uh, single at the time in my early 30s. I had a good job. Uh, It was leaving me a decent disposable income, and I was looking for ways to grow that money and to invest it in a more aggressive way and be able to take a little bit more risk or a lot more risk than what's, uh, what the market traditionally is used for, which is longer term diversified investing and building up retirement fund and being able to fight, fight inflation with it. So I knew about the stock market, but th- there wasn't a place where I could discuss these higher risk type trades with people that didn't really, really have a ton of background with this. And so I started Wall Street Bets. With a more high risk options involved in these online servers, there's a lot that can come out of it. But as Mr. Rogozinski explains, there is a lot, something very empowering about being able to take your financials into your own hands. And I believe that's a good thing. It's a good thing for a lot of different reasons. I think it's good because it empowers people to take control of their finances. It empowers them to learn about the stock market and just get more involved with life in general. You know, if you buy stocks and renewable energy thing. You're going to start reading the news and find out how the Suez Canal blockage is going to affect your trade. And it creates a level of engagement, which is really cool. And it also empowers people to say, oh, I can do this. It's not that crazy. 
Yeah. So earlier before we started recording this episode, because I knew what our topic was going to be, I started looking at the Wall Street Bets Reddit myself, and I was just kind of scrolling through. And just to give our listeners a picture of what it looks like if they haven't seen it before, it's kind of a mixture of people posting screenshots of what investments they made and also just a bunch of memes. There is this one post of like someone who had lost a lot of money. So the user posted a screenshot of his bet upside down and the caption read, it's all about perspective or something like that. So he's just kind of making a joke of like, I might've lost a lot of money, but I can make a funny post about it. So that just kind of gives our listeners like a little glimpse of the really weird sub counterculture that's being made here and how like these people are actually, I don't know, becoming a little bit more powerful because of the way they work together. And we'll get more into this later in the episode, but maybe Hannah can shed a little bit more light on this weird inside subculture within Reddit, because it's a really interesting platform to try and base your monetary future on. But the inner workings of a subreddit are definitely interesting. Like you said, it ranges from all the financial talk to all of the memes. And that is the creation of these meme stocks that we'll get into in a little bit. But Reddit calls itself, according to their co-founder, Steve Huffman, the most human place on the internet. And from being on the subreddit, I will say, you can act like a real person. You're having real conversations with people and you're forming a very real community. And another in really interesting aspect of Reddit that makes it unique is that users can be anonymous and not anonymous in the way that people are just going and making fake accounts on the internet, but intentionally anonymous. At first, this was something that I thought might be a little bit of an obstacle in creating a community of trust on the subreddits, but as Mr. Rogozinski explains, this is actually really helpful in creating a transparent and very trusting community in which people can really put everything out on the line and face no judgment for it. You know, they, they do a good job with it. And at the same time, keeping that level of anonymity permits people to share openly, right? They can share openly about how much they make, how much they've lost. They can be themselves. And part of Wall Street bets, part, part of what makes it kind of unique is that everybody's refreshingly honest and everyone's so excited to to share everything about everything. And, and I think that that anonymity allows that to happen. Yeah. And so within the community, these people are here because it's something that they're excited about. They like talking about it. And what gets to the top of the subreddit is really just a matter of what gets the most upvotes, what people are engaging with the most. And so that's how a lot of communication is spread. And so this community really cares about what they're talking about, and it's exciting to see. So they definitely keep each other in line, as Mr. Rogozinski explains. I don't think that people go on Wall Street Bets because they want to trust somebody necessarily. That There have been instances where people fake you know, their, their trades or whatever. And when I first started the subreddit, I thought that might be an issue. And so I started thinking of ways to try and combat that, but then... I quickly realized that the best police is the community itself. They're really good at sniffing out people that are just making things up. Yeah, so I'm glad you kind of illuminated a lot more about the inner workings between members themselves and how they help each other out and point out good bets. But I think it's also kind of interesting to note that this is the internet and it comes with kind of the good, bad and the ugly. There's kind of like the language that you would expect from the internet, you know, people calling each other names. It's not like a perfect place full of rainbows and butterflies, but it's also not like an absolutely terrible, always at each other's throats type of community. I think it has both sides, as anyone who has ever been on the internet can attest to. So now that we've kind of established what this Reddit community looks like, 
let's dive into a case study of one time where this subreddit particularly made news in the GameStop incident. This past January, no matter where you were on the internet, you did not need to have a Reddit to know that there was something going on with GameStop. GameStop is a part of the gaming industry that's not doing well from the surge in video game usage because it's the brick and mortar retail chain that relies on physical sales in a very digital world. So looking at it from this point of view, it makes sense that GameStop isn't doing that well as a company. Its stock is going to go down. But GameStop found itself all over the news because its stock started going up in ways that nobody on Wall Street really saw coming. But to understand what happened with GameStop, first we're going to have to understand what short selling is, because that's what really happened here. So short selling is when people think a stock is going to go down, they borrow that stock from the owner through a broker. And then they can sell this stock on the market for the current price with the assumption that it will go down. And if it goes down, they buy it back at a lower price to return to the broker and pocket the difference. But this comes with a risk because obviously if the stock price goes up, you're not going to be pocketing a difference. You're going to be taking a loss. So the two options here are to buy it back at the higher price and just deal with the losses, or you can pay a premium to wait and hope it eventually comes down. So what was happening with GameStop is that the hedge funds were betting on GameStop crashing because they couldn't see it competing with bigger corporations in the gaming industry, such as Amazon. They were planning on participating in short selling in hopes of making money by selling GameStop before it crashes, then buying it back to return when it's low to make a profit for themselves. The people from Wall Street Bets, however, organized to buy GameStop stock to push the price higher, which is the opposite of what hedge funds wanted. And investors that could not afford to cover the losses from short selling had to buy even more stock, pushing it even higher, leading to the record-breaking numbers that we saw in the news. And as a result, this is what people are referring to as the short squeeze. And this has happened in the past, but we're seeing it in just really big numbers and in a really unique way. What happened with GameStop is he had a lot of different things come together. It was a perfect storm. The profile of that stock was set up beautifully for... It was more than just a short squeeze, but we can start calling it that. The way that it was over 100% short float and you had relatively low volume-ish, you know, the market cap wasn't all that big. The options profile for it was just beautifully set up for a move like that. And then you had the catalyst, you have this guy, Keith Gill, who has been advocating GameStop for over a year and he's done a lot of research and he's identified some of these things that, that can potentially really help his argument. And he believes in the stock. He likes the stock, he says. And then he starts making money and people see that and they kind of start piling into it. And then it's this self-propagating feedback loop. Right. But the Wall Street people also have to contend with the fact that they don't own the stock market, that it's kind of this market for anyone who wants to invest, who wants to give some money to a company and see if that company will then return with more interest for them. So I don't know, maybe we have to contend with this ethical question of who it belongs to and how the average person is also potentially intended to make money off of it and that it might not just be a playground for these wealthy stock firms, but also so much of our economy is potentially tied up with their decisions. It's a question I at least don't have an answer to. 
yeah, that is definitely something that a lot of people on Wall Street bets and in larger settings, like it made its way to, up into Congress. It brought to light a question that a lot of people have been curious about for a long time. I mean, we've seen movements in the past, Occupy Wall Street and 2008. But what's really unique about what's happening right now is that the people on Reddit and all over the internet, they're banding together and they're sort of acting like a hedge fund themselves. But the way that they banded together on the Reddit was basically having Keith Gill and others slowly supporting him. And then it jumps onto the Reddit. And then you have people like Elon Musk, you have Dave Portnoy, they're on the internet talking about it. Next thing you know, it's all over TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, Reddit, obviously. And people are jumping on the bandwagon for the sake of getting in on something that they could have a stake in. Also, on Wall Street Bets, it's important to remember that people aren't necessarily on that specific channel for advice. As Mr. Rogozinski reminds us, it's called Wall Street Bets. You know, with regards to when people should get out, whatever, it's it's Wall Street Bets. You know, it's not how to trade, right? It's not meant to be this coattailing suggestion engine. <laughs> There's tons of suggestions on there, but it's not it's not organized. It's not organized in that you don't have one guy saying, hey, this is what's going to make you money next. Everyone having to listen to them. There's plenty of those types of things on outside of Reddit. Yeah, this is all super interesting, but I also feel like I have to have this disclaimer that I'm such a risk adverse person myself and I. I get like there's the potential for reward, but I just don't fully understand why people do this and why they risk so much money. I would say that the short answer is they're seeing other people take the risk and making a lot of money. And unfortunately, the downside is that for every person that makes a lot of money, there's a lot more people that lose a lot of money. It's important to note that we are also in a pandemic, that people are on their computers and a lot of people have taken to the stock market, whether that be to put their stimulus checks in or just to find a way to make some money. And it really has turned into this betting game for a lot of people. And then once people start making a lot of money, then they're just having a great time, right? And part of what they do on Wall Street Bets and now outside, you know, I see a lot of this on TikTok now too. People are, are trying to have fun. They're making memes. One of the names that, that's given to this particular demographic of traders is called meme traders because they just, they make memes and that's why they trade the stock because it's funny and they'll go after Tesla because the company and, and, and the fact that they make rocket ships that go to the moon, you know, and, and Elon Musk is a really personable CEO and he's really funny and quirky and he does crazy things and he's just billionaire without a leash on and, and, and it's great. They're, they're having fun with these trades and so that's really what's leading them to do what they're doing. Okay, I get it. So people are kind of seeing the stock market as a casino or like a chance to win big. And it's more accessible to people nowadays because you can just invest from your phone. And one of the ways that you can invest that's been in the news has been with the app Robinhood. But we've also heard some news stories about its many flaws. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. Robinhood and other apps that people can download on their iPhones and have at easy access has been a really transformative piece in this whole democratizing the stock market and making it way more accessible to people. 
As Mr. Rogozinski explains, Robinhood is really user-friendly and made for the everyday person to use. And, and the ease, the interface, specifically with Robinhood, but I think a lot of other brokers are kind of following suit as well, also really helps. It really demystifies a lot of these things. It's find the company you want and you just click it if you want to buy it and sell it. And, and it's on your phone and you don't have these crazy big charts and have a gazillion little buttons that you have to figure out. And it's very inviting to participate. And even with stock options, stock options, I would argue, are extremely complicated, like extremely complicated. There's people that get their PhDs based off of how these things work. And I'm fascinated by them. I understand very well the mechanics behind them, but Robinhood makes it so that you don't have to, right? You could just pull up the stock options and then there's two types. There's calls and there's puts. And right before you buy it, it says, do you think the stock's going to go up or down? And then you answer it with a big green arrow or red pointing down. And that's how you determine whether you bought the right the right kind, right? <laughs> the issue with Robinhood was, though, that with the GameStop surge, we saw a huge drop off almost as quickly as GameStop rose, it dropped right back down. And a lot of people were really quick to blame this on Robinhood. Because Robinhood stopped allowing retail traders to be trading on these volatile stocks like GameStop in the moment as it was happening. So while a lot of people were blaming Robinhood, saying that it was really taking the side of the hedge funds and allowing them to get all their money back because GameStop was going to crash, it ended up more so that Robinhood just ran out of money because with a sudden explosion in price and volatility for stocks, including GameStop and other ones such as AMC happening at the time, the brokerage had to give over several billion dollars to a clearinghouse of stocks, the National Securities Clearing Corporation. And I think that says something to how many people were really in their training GameStop if they were going to crash the app that enabled them to be able to do so. And with everything that's happening, it's brought to the attention a lot of people what's been going on in the stock market. As stated earlier, there's been a lot more retail investors being invested in the stock market, and there's a lot going on. And while a lot of these people do know what they're doing, a lot of people have found ways to get a hold of a lot of money. And as we know, money has a lot of power in the society that we live in. And if people get reckless with it and end up taking risks that they can't afford to take, the system falls apart. And whether that's a question of if we should be changing the system or making more rules is a question that I don't have a great answer to, but I'll pass it to Mr. Rogozinski to explain to us how leverage can be a bit of a danger when we're dealing with so much money. The only thing that I fear is there is a component of leverage that is dangerous. And it always has been. Leverage has been the cause of so many problems in the history of the stock market, and it, they've never addressed it. And um, there's different ways of addressing it. But, but by leverage, I mean, you have a little bit of money and you're controlling a ton of money. Uh, but now that you have these retail traders that really don't care, right? They're going to do that same thing. If they were to organize themselves and also exploit the leverage, they would then have an asymmetric systemic problem where they're taking a risk that they can't afford to take. And the problem is going to be somebody else's problem. That's never been the case with retail traders. You know, retail traders, if you lose your money, you lost your money. 2008, when the banks lost money, they were bailed out. All right. But if you lost your house, sorry about your luck. 
with leverage, you can have a situation where individuals are negative in their accounts, thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of dollars that they don't have. Now it's somebody else's problem, right? Like, sure, you can send collectors after me if you want. Sue me, go ahead, right? Good luck. I don't have it. And 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 if a lot of people are, are in that situation, that's a problem. And so that's a risk that I'm hoping gets addressed preemptively. Right. So I guess the trillion dollar question is almost always what is going to happen next? I mean, that's the whole point of the stock market is to try and make money off of predicting what you think will happen next. So I'm going to throw it to you, Hannah, and your special guest and ask you now, what do you guys think comes next? Well, I think it would be awesome to claim that this is a huge win for the little guys and it's going to be a complete transformation. I think that would be a little bit naive to claim. I read an interesting analogy in an Atlantic article that basically explained it by comparing waging war against big finance by becoming a day trader is comparable to waging war against the casinos by becoming a gambling addict. When we're continuing to participate in the economy and game that's going on in the stock market, you're fueling it and making sure that it's going to continue to exist. And we can't really be hurting the big guys by just continuing to play the game they've set up. Even Keith Gill, the mastermind behind the whole GameStop situation, in his testimony to Congress said it's alarming how little we know about the inner workings of the market. There's a lot that we don't know. And I'm glad that this did happen because it exposed a lot. And while Wall Street bets and what happened with GameStop are not the only ones of their kind, just because they're getting so much media attention does not mean that they're going to be the new stock market. There's still a lot that we don't understand that happens at the much larger levels. And there's still a lot of very powerful hedge funds and people with money that are ruling the game. It's fun to analyze meme stocks and see what's happening there. But it really is a very dynamic situation that we're yet to really reach the end of. It's interesting to see how retail investors aren't diversifying their portfolios as much as they used to. With the way that the internet and apps like Robinhood work, it's really easy to just get behind one stock, put some money into it, and hope that you get money out of it. However, with the newfound attention that's being brought to it, I do hope to see some changes. Mr. Rogozinski shed some light on what we might be seeing in the future. My hope is that there is some regulation that comes into place that helps strengthen the integrity of the system. We saw with GameStop that things kind of broke. Robinhood, as well as most other brokers, had to, to freeze trading on GameStop and some other stocks because of how this, the things work behind the scenes. I predict that these traders that, that aren't afraid of losing money, that they're, they're hungry for risk. Some of them are, some of them aren't, but they, they almost make the same difference. If you really don't know what you're doing, you're arguably just as quote unquote reckless as the guy that knows what he's doing and he's willing to lose it all. Uh, meaning that can lead to behavior, which economists would consider to be irrational, which goes against some of these rules that were built into the, the way the stock market works. If they continue to do what they're doing, they're going to find continuously exploit weaknesses. And they've done it in the past. They've done it long before GameStop. They've, they've done a great job with it and exploiting leverage and exploiting all sorts of different loopholes. And every time that they do find a problem with this, people, whether it be brokers or in this case, it's going to be regulators come through and kind of plug up that little hole. And they, and they prevent that little thing from happening again. And so if you can picture this as a 
having millions of beta testers that are using the stock market live to do their testing and trying to find bugs in the system. And the, they will, they'll continue to find them. And whoever is responsible for that particular bug has to go through and patch it up. So then you'll have a stronger system altogether. And that's our episode for this week. As always, thank you for listening to The Global Inquirer and thank you to Hannah Malcolm for bringing us this week's story. Additionally, we would like to thank our special guest, Mr. Jamie Rogozinski, for appearing on this week's episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Consider leaving comments and liking us on Facebook.